Isaiah chapter number 55. Our text today, probably next week, and probably the week or two after that, is verse 8 through 11. Isaiah chapter 55. Been working on a message this week about counterintuitive living. God, how God teaches us in His Word to live. How He teaches us in His Word to follow Him. How He teaches us in His Word to obey Him. It don't always make sense with our frame of thinking. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't make sense with our frame of thinking. And so the things that God teaches us, the things that He tells us in His Word, and how we are to live for Him, how we are to obey Him, it's counterintuitive to our logic. And the reason it's counterintuitive to our logic, counterintuitive to worldly wisdom, is because that's all tainted by sin. That's man's sinful nature. And, and so the, the realities of, of what God declares to us in His Word and how we're to follow after Him doesn't always line up with how we think or how we feel about a particular situation. I had one message prepared with some examples of those, of those counterintuitive disciplines that God gives us in His Word. Just four or five. Couldn't get all of them. That would take years to get all of them. But I was just going to take five you know, big ones that we see most commonly in the Scripture. And then last night at 10 o'clock, um, it's expanded now into, <laughs> not a year, but, but expanded into, into some... Uh, into a little deeper study into it. So I don't know exactly how long we're going to go here in this particular passage as we look here at what God speaks concerning Himself here in Isaiah chapter 55. Beginning at verse number 11, or 8 rather, down through verse 11, He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. What I say is going to happen is going to happen. Okay, that's what God tells us. In a nutshell here, that's what He tells us in this passage. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts, not your thoughts. And the way I say it will happen, will happen. And so that's important for us to understand when we see these things in the Scripture that are seemingly contradicting to our mindset. 
when they are contradicting to how we think things ought to be done or how we think they ought to pan out or how we think it ought to work this particular way, uh, God's Word spells it differently to us. And very clearly, most often. It, it's, it, it is those, those counterintuitive thoughts and how He words it and gives it to us that, that really it challenges us in our own thinking. And if, if we can get a hold of this principle, of this reality, it changes the way we do life. It changes the way we do life. Because what it does is it keeps us from depending on our own thinking. It keeps us from depending on our own logic and our own wisdom and focus wholly on what God says to do and follow Him. Submitting ourselves to Him, even when it don't make sense, even when it seems like, Lord, I think I've got a better plan than you. I think I can work this out better than you. Although we'd never say that with our mouths. It's just how we do. It's how we act. Right? If we get a hold of this reality to do it the way God says to do it, to do it the way He declares in His Word, it'll change the way we live every day. Submitting ourselves to Him, submitting ourselves to His Word. But also the promise that he gives us there in verse number eleven. We often use that. We often use that promise in regards to to delivering the message of God's word. He promised it will not return unto him void, and so it goes out. We know God's going to use it, but it's deeper than that. And this is what he's saying here: how deep truly this is, because what he's telling is, you do what I say to do, it'll work just exactly the way I want it to work. You follow, you submit yourself to how I've said to do it, and you'll see I work it out exactly the way it's going to work out. My word will not return in me void. God's saying, I keep my word. I keep my promises. Do it my way. Do it my way. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is full of this. And I've been, I've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at prayer on, on uh, Sunday afternoons and on Wednesday nights. We've been looking at, at the Lord's Prayer there, or the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, which is often called the Lord's Prayer. And we, we've been looking at, at that passage of Scripture, and I've been reading around in uh, the Sermon on the Mount otherwise. And we see a lot of those, those uh, counterintuitive things that the Lord teaches there. In fact, you'll see a bunch of them there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And there's several times that the Lord says, Ye have heard it said. Ye have heard it said. This, whatever it is. And then He says, But I say unto you. Okay? He, he said, this is, what, this is what man has said. This is how man has taken my word. This is man's logic, man's wisdom. This is how he's taken the law and made it fit his scenario. This is how he has taken the law and made it situational for himself. But I say this. And he gives the clear direction concerning it. He gives the clear speech on this law or that particular law. And we see that several times 
in, in the Sermon on the Mount as the Lord addresses those. In fact, go back, hold your place here in Isaiah. Go back with me there to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 is one of the first ones that he says there. He says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. That's scripture. That's right. It's exactly what the law says. But I say unto you, but I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or thou fool, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, rather, shall be, well, I told you wrong on, on Raka, I have to look that up now. But he, he says there, uh, whosoever shall be, in danger, or shall be in danger of the council, whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire, he said. And so he he shows that there's more than just what's being said there. There's more than just what's being declared. Verse 27, he says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand defend thee, cut it off, and cast it out, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it had been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. And so there, there are these issues that are brought in the law. And he goes on, there's several others there in the Sermon on the Mount that he speaks to these. Some of them he's speaking plainly, this is what the law says. Others he puts the Pharisaical spin on it, that they added to the law. And then he always comes back, but I say unto you, but I say, but I say. What's he saying? What is he saying when he says, but I say? He's saying the same thing as what Isaiah 55 says. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm higher than you. He is declaring here. He is the lawgiver. He is declaring here. He is God. That's what he's declaring to them. He is, he is declaring His deity in this Sermon on the Mount as He's giving it to them. He is declaring He's the one who declares the meaning of the law. You see. And we can see these things as He's going through. And we, we, can hear, we can hear as we read through these, but ye have heard, ye have heard, ye have heard. We can read through and hear those things and say, yeah, I, I know that scenario, I know that situation, I know that scenario. And, and But wait a minute, Lord, what do you mean I can't be angry with my brother? Do you know what that dummy did? 
And we start, in, in our thinking, in our frame of reference, we, we have our excuses, our workarounds concerning the laws of God. We have, we have our ways of getting around the commands of God. We say, well, yeah, of course. Yes, that's, that's, what, that's what God requires. That's what God has declared. That's, that's what everybody should do. But, but God understands my situation. God understands that what I'm going through, He understands the particular thing that I'm facing. He understands, he understands what, what my situation is and, and my way is a little different than everybody else's way. And so God understands. And so I have an excuse. That's what happens when our thinking, when our sinful nature, when worldly wisdom comes our way, we start finding way arounds of what God has commanded. And the fact of the matter is, there are no ways around. God's Word is God's Word. And what He has declared, He has declared, and He says, it will not return unto me void. It will not return unto him void. So what he's declared, it will be accomplished. What he has declared is exactly what he expects. So, and God's word is clear to us and how he wants us to live. It, where, where the problem comes is when, when we start trying to find those workarounds, when we start putting in our own wisdom, when we start putting in our perspective and our thought patterns in what God has declared to try to figure it out for ourselves, using our thinking, using our wisdom, we'll make a jumble of it. Make a mess of it. A few weeks ago we were studying there from Genesis chapter 3. Verse number 1. When sin is brought into the world, and death by sin because of Adam's sin there in the garden. What was it that Satan said to Eve? How was it that he brought that particular temptation to her? Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. He took the word of God and gave just enough twist. Just enough twist on it. To make it fit her way of thinking. Her worldly wisdom. And she did exactly what First John says. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those three things, that's exactly what she saw in the temptation that Satan brought before her. Go back to Genesis 3 with me and look there. Verse Verse number 6. won't belabor this point too long. This is what we've already looked at just a few weeks ago. But we, we see there that he, he, he presents himself as a serpent before her. And uh, he had God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And of course she says, that, well the one in the midst of the garden, we can't 
touch it. We can't, we can't eat from it. We can't touch it or we'll die. And that was not the command at all. And Satan said, you should, sure, you, you, you'll not surely die. God, God's hiding something from you. He, he's, he's kept back some information from you. What, what He don't want you to do is He don't want you to eat that fruit because He knows when you eat that fruit, you're going to know the difference between good and evil and you're going to be just like Him. He even said you'll be gods. And how does she look at it? Verse 6 it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh. That's a good looking piece of fruit. And God said don't. But I think it looks good. I think it's exactly what I want, right? It's exactly what I need right now. This, 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 this is exactly, I mean, that, if I was looking for a fruit to eat, that's the one that I want to eat. I mean, those bananas are alright. And those apples over there, they're, they're pretty good. They're a little sour. <laughs> well, that one right there. That's the fruit I want. And so she belusts the flesh. Looks like food. That looks like good food. That's what I want. So, the lust of the flesh comes forward there. It says and that it was pleasant to the eyes. There's the lust of the eyes. John said, there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Oh, Look at that. Look how plump that is. Oh, you know that thing's full of juice? Mm. You know that's just going you know to hit the spot, that fruit right there. I bet you, I bet you there's not a sweeter tasting fruit anywhere in this garden. Plus the eyes. And a tree. To be desired to make one wise. Now, did that have to do anything with that fruit? Did, did she see anywhere on that fruit? Mm, that's wisdom right there. No. No, that's what she heard from the serpent. And that's what affected her thinking. Maybe God is keeping something from me. Maybe, maybe if I do it God's way, I'm missing out. Maybe, maybe if I'm following what God says to do, that He's holding me back. And I don't want to be held back. I, I, want, to have, I want to have the fullness that I can get from that. That's that, that, that. If I have that, that's going to make me wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Every sin, every sin, every sin is made up of those three components. Everything is in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, 
apply. And so, begins worldly wisdom. And what does worldly wisdom bring? Death. Death. Go to Matthew chapter 4. It works here in Genesis. Worked with Adam and Eve. God's first representative, God's man, man God gave dominion to. It worked here with Him. Maybe I can get the sun the same way. Now how foolish is this? On Satan's part, really. How foolish is this? I mean, we can see... Now, understand, Satan is no dummy. Satan is no dummy. He's much more powerful than you are. Understand that. He he has great power. He's no dummy. But he's a fool. Because he thought... Isaiah chapter 14. He thought, I can be bigger than God. The created, saying of the Creator, I think I can be bigger than Him. I think I can be exalted above Him. I think I can set my throne above His throne. I think I'll be God. That's Satan's thinking. Now, Satan found out very quickly, no, that can't be. No, that's that's not going to happen. No, I, I don't have that ability. So now what does he do? He comes at God's people with the exact same thinking. But here again we see the foolishness of this. Because here, Christ Jesus comes in flesh. Now Satan understood. He understood, yes, he's God, but he's also man. And we struggle with that understanding. I mean, it's hard to put together the fact that Jesus was all man and all God at the same time. That He, in in ways, limited Himself to be present in the man. That He might be able then to, to live that perfect sinless life. Go to the cross for us. Die in our stead and be that salvation for us. That there was, that there was limits that He put on Himself in order to do that. And that's hard for us to put together in our minds. Because even though He put those limits on Himself, He still remained God and still remained man at the same time. He is the God-man. <laughs> even while a babe in the manger, He's still holding all of creation in existence. 
So it's hard for us to fathom the realities of this. But Satan understood. Satan saw. He's a man. He's a man. He took, himself, took upon himself flesh, dwelt among us. He saw that, that nature of man in him. Not the sinful nature, but the reality of man being in him. That he was man. And the Lord in his manhood, here in Matthew chapter 4, he is weak physically. He has went out from his baptism there at the River Jordan with John. He immediately is carried by the Spirit in the wilderness. And there he stays 40 days and 40 nights submitting himself to his Father in fasting and prayer. And he's given himself wholly here in these four to his Father's will to do exactly what his Father had given for him to do. This great covenant of grace that was worked between the Father and the Son. He submits Himself to that. And so while He is fasting, while He is praying, He is physically weak. And yet He's still God. But Satan comes to Him in this physically weak state and brings these temptations. He brings these temptations. And we see though there's three that are listed for us here. Three specific ones. I, I, I'm of the opinion that he probably was there the full 40 days tempting him. But we have these three particular ones that, that stand out to us here in chapter 4. The first, Satan says there in verse number 6, and Satan uh, and saith unto him, rather, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, took him upon the, the uh, well, let me go back. I, I jumped ahead there. Go back to verse 3. Excuse me. I skipped the first one. Verse 3, he says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Satan said, Look, you're, you're God. You're God. Hey, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Eat. Fulfill the need of your flesh. Jesus said, It is written. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He was not going to do anything to fulfill the need of his flesh, but rather to give everything to the direction of his Father. Now, later on, he's going to make bread. What's the difference here? Here, it would be for himself. The other times, it was for the glory of his Father. You see. Again, he says there in verse 6, If thou be the Son of God, Satan says, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning it. Oh, you, you want to quote Scripture? Well, I'll quote Scripture with you. 
Satan says, get, just throw your shield. He took him up on the, the pinnacle of the temple, that great height. It, it was well over 100 feet tall there and that, at that particular location. And he takes him up there upon the, 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 the pinnacle of the, the temple and says, hey, you just throw yourself down. Because it's written, the Bible says... He'll give His angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12, and he quotes it exactly. That's exactly what he says. It's exactly. He doesn't bend it. He doesn't twist what he quotes there. He doesn't bend it. He doesn't twist it. It's exactly what it says. And the Lord answers. Verse number 7. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, they will take him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. What does that tell us right there? Satan was in charge of those kingdoms. He had that dominion. He had that dominion. Adam had given it to him. He had that dominion. He had that power. That's the reason we see in the Old Testament something about what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning is those those principalities and powers that, that Paul tells us about in Ephesians chapter 6. That's the reason we call, see them called the prince of Persia and the, the prince of this country and the prince of that country throughout, especially in the book of Ezekiel, some in the book of Daniel. We see those examples because those principalities, those demons were given charge over those particular kingdoms. And Satan says there in, in verse number uh, uh uh, well, let me find it again. Verse number, verse number eight. He says it showed all the kingdoms of the world. All these things. Verse nine. He says, "Well, I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me." Then said Jesus unto him, "Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve." And the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Notice that verse 6 and verse 7 there. Satan uses the Scripture. And he quotes it correctly. He didn't twist it in his quotation of the Scripture. He quotes it exactly like it says. He's given his angels charge over thee. He's given his angels charge over thee. And if you were to stumble, if you were to fall, even if, even if you're to trip over a rock, they're right there. They're going to hold you up. They're going to bury you up. And Jesus said, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, is one verse more important than another verse? Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 91 is, is just, just as much God's Word as Deuteronomy 6.16 that Jesus quotes. Justice, just as powerful, just as true, just as sure. So the difference here is not in the Word. It's not in what God has declared. The difference is in the usage of it. The intent and the way that it is used. 
Satan quotes the Word of God exactly as the Scripture describes there in Psalm 91. But he's using it as a means for Jesus to glorify Himself. I'll prove it. Go on, prove it to us. Go on, show us who you are. Make us see it. Do something miraculous so that we can see that, that you're the fulfilled. Do it so we can see it. And Jesus says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You see, it all comes back. It all comes back. And where it becomes counterintuitive to us when, when we're looking at these passages, and we, like I said, we'll, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll get delve into these into these four or five that we get as many as we can get through in the amount of time. But we we see these things and they they seem counterintuitive to us because we're trying to apply our reasoning. But the reality is when we apply our reasoning, when we apply worldly wisdom, when we apply worldly counsel to what God's Word declares, what God's Word says, in order to get out of it what what we think is best or what we think we want to get out of it, what happens is, is we make it something that it's not. We twist it so that it's not what the Scripture declares for it to be. You see. And so it all comes back to what is our intent with the Word of God. And the test, the test that we have for that is what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Now, quite frankly, sometimes it's hard to figure out what our purpose is. We, we might think we have a right purpose in our searching out what it is and how it applies to me. We might think that if I go this route, if, I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm searching this out, I'm truly trying to figure out how it applies to me here. And we might, have, we might think we have good intention in doing so. But ultimately, we have the test for it is for us to, to look as we look at the scriptures, as we interpret the application for us in our lives. The chief thing, the chief test that it has to pass is will this glorify God in my life? Will this bring glory to Him through me? That has to be the test. Oh, it may make sense here. And it may make sense right here. And it may, it may fit perfectly to what I'm thinking over here. But the, the ultimate test can't be those things. It has to be with God in view. Does it glorify His name? Will it bring glory to Him through? That has to be our test. It cannot be about us. 
And at the same time, we, we cannot use the Scripture with the purpose to manipulate. Not the purpose of manipulating ourselves or a purpose to manipulate someone else. We're not to use the Scriptures to condemn. We let God do that. We are simply to stand fast on what God's Word declares. This is what it says. This is how it brings glory to God. This is how it should be in my life. That's what it ha- that has to be that test. That has to be that measurement for us. Worldly wisdom says, yeah, the Bible says, but surely God has in some way allowed me a workaround, a slide through, because He understands the situation that I'm in. He understands the problems that I face. He understands what I went through. He understands how I feel in this particular thing. How many times have you heard some people say, but God wants me to be happy? Yes, He does. He does want you to be happy. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is that God wants you to be happy. Yes. But how does He say that we are made happy? By doing His Word. By doing His Word. We won't find happiness in worldly wisdom. We won't find joy in our frame of thinking. We find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. We find it in doing His work. Doing it His way. Even when, even when it's hard to reconcile, even when it doesn't make much sense, do it God's way. Do it His way. Do it as He has declared. When God's way seems backward from my way, when His way is the opposite of the way I think it should be done, then I have to ask the question, does my idea, does my way glorify God? Or does His way glorify Him? That's the test. Does it bring glory to Him? Does it bring glory to Him? John 17, verse number 4. John 17, verse number 4. This was, this was the crux of Jesus' life. This is the reason, the chief reason, he, he rejected the temptations that Satan brought before him. Because his purpose was never about himself. His purpose was about glorifying his Father. 
I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Bring God glory. Glorify Him with your life. And we do that by doing His Word. By following Him. If our actions, our thoughts goes against God's Word, if it goes against His character, it does not bring Him glory. If it's about fulfilling our desires, if it's about fulfilling our needs, even though we may have found Scripture that sounds that way, we're as good at twisting it as Satan is. I mean, we can give ourselves excuse. We're good at twisting it. But if it's if it is for our fulfillment, it is not about his glory, but rather is about us and what we want. And that's not what God called us to. He's called us. To glorify Him. To glorify Him. Verse number 8 of our text there in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Worldly wisdom is tied up in our sinful natures so that we cannot, we cannot depend on our wisdom and our logic. It may sound great. It may sound like, oh, I've got to figure it out. Oh, there it is. That's, that's the workaround I was looking for. Yes. I now have license, we think. If if that's what our seeking God's Word is about, then we've already approached it the wrong way. Lord, teach me Your Word. Show me, Father, Your Word and help me be faithful to it that I might bring glory you. That's the test. That's the test. To bring glory to Him. You say, but wait. (laughs) Wait. God's way can't work. It, It don't make sense that way to me. I don't think it's possible. It's it's going the opposite direction of what I think it ought to go. Trust Him. He says again, verse 11, that His Word will not return unto Him void. He does what He says He's going to do. He keeps His Word. He keeps His promises. Trust Him. Trust Him. 
Oh, it's hard to do. It's hard to do when it doesn't make sense. It's hard to do when we think we've got a better path. It's hard to do when we say, Lord, I'll help you out here. I, I know what needs to be done. Trust Him. His Word will not return unto Him void. It will be fulfilled. It will be carried out just as He declares it will be. If He says it will work, it will work. Trust Him. And Lord willing, next week we'll get into some of these, these counterintuitive things. I didn't want to jump into those today. And, and we've looked at a little bit of it in, in our study concerning uh, forgiveness. That's one, of those, that's one of those counterintuitive directions that He gives us there. To, to trust Him in forgiveness. Because He says, don't do vengeance. In fact, Love your enemies, he says. Do good to them that despitefully use you, he says. If your enemy hungers or thirsts, give him drink, give him food. If somebody says, give me your coat, he says, give me your coat. So they walk with me a mile, walk with them too. They smack you on one cheek, give them the other to smack also. Those are hard things. <laughs> when they smack up against worldly wisdom. Trust Him. He will do what He says He will do. He will perform exactly what He intends to perform. Trust Him. Let's all stand. Brother Gordon, would you bring us a song?